0: Uh, this is our church, the Lakes Evangelical Church. We don't meet in the ocean, but uh, this, that, uh, we're just 20 minutes up the road. And so what I'm going to do, we're a daughter church of EV, uh, And so I want to tell you our story and draw some lessons along the way for what uh, we've learnt. Uh, and then I've also canvassed about a dozen other people in mother-daughter church relationships. And I've, I've, I've pulled together a whole lot of... Advice from a range of people that I'll hand out to you at the end because you'll you'll have my perspective, um, but then I'll also get a whole lot of um, other ideas from other people. Uh, we'll be able to sort of field questions um, and yeah, see where it goes. So um, yeah, hopefully it'll be helpful. So uh, to start with, just um, flick up there on the, this is the Central Coast. Um, so the Central Coast basically you start down at the Hawkesbury. Brisbane Water, this is the Tugra Lakes lake system. Um, And then you go go up to um, Nora Head and all that up the top. Uh, So 17, 18 years ago, um, EV began on the central coast and they started in the heartland of the central coast. Now, it doesn't look like the heartland geographically, but in terms of people it really is at the heart. It used to be that Gosford was the centre of the central coast but over time it's shifted towards the beach and so now um, Erin And you can really get a sense of that from... You look at the local shopping centres and you really get a sense of the epicentre of an area. I think Westfield and so on are much better market researchers than we are in terms of working out where are the people, what are the, um, you know, the points of attraction and so on. And so... I don't think it's any accident that one of the biggest churches in Australia in terms of our evangelical scene is is planted next door to one of the biggest shopping centres in the, you know, in the region. It's it's a massive um, shopping centre. So that was 18 years ago. Um, I knew Andrew, uh, this is mother and daughter, yep, okay, I'm going to shut that. Uh, So I knew Andrew um, from way back when he was an MTS worker and I was a first year civil engineer. And we sort of forged a ministry relationship from way back then. And we've been involved in ministry ever since, running sailing camps and, you know, leading um, leading camps. And we've just kept in contact over the years. Um, and so when I was at college, uh, at Bible college, I had a real heart to start a church outside of the Sydney area. Um, I'd grown up feeling like... Um, I hadn't been well taught in the Bible and I hadn't been part of a church that was really reaching out to the area I lived. Uh, and so I had a real heart to get out there somewhere where there was a need for that sort of ministry. Um, and we were, we were thinking of all sorts of options. But in the end, we landed here on the Central Coast, partly because of my connection with Andrew Heard, partly because my parents already lived up here and so we knew a lot about the area uh, so there's a number of factors. So we had two sort of places we could have gone. Um, click on there in the next one. So basically when you, when you think about the central coast, it's sort of, um, there's a few obvious population clusters. One down here at Woi Woi, you've got the centra, uh, Erina and so on. Further north in the Berkeley Vale, Baddow Bay, the entrance area, and then further north up the Gorokan area. And so we were sort of wrestling with, well, where do you actually start? Um, in a sense, this area looked really attractive because it's the new growing area. So that's where the new estates are opening up and so on. But then on the downside of that was that there was hardly anyone from there travelling all that way down to EV. And so um, as we agonised over this, I got a piece of advice um, we didn't go on much in those days. This is, uh, And so my single piece of advice was this. Have we got it there? All things being equal, do whatever is easiest. Right? And that was Philip Jensen said to me, oh, all right, okay, well, that sounds all right. And so the easiest thing was to go with the place that had a core group already. Uh, and so it was pretty obvious how I could gather a core group quite quickly. So we started off with at least 30 adults from EV who lived up that way Um, So Andrew said, you know, I'm not just going to send people to you, but you come along, state your case. And for those who live up that way, who think, yeah, we'd like to be part of a new work, um, uh, they came and helped us start the Lakes Church, and we started in January of 2002. Uh, So um, uh, again... um, our church, we, we sort of had to wrestle with where do we start the church? Uh, and there's a compromise between where you'd want the church to be and where you can actually meet, uh, what facilities are there. Um, but we're, sort of, we're in a high school auditorium um, and we're quite close to you know, another big Westfield sort of shopping centre and uh, that seems like a, a really good arterial um, road that uh, links the freeway to the coast. Just click on the next thing. Um, just really helpful thinking about how church catchments work. Uh, and this is something that again Philip Jensen helped me with quite a bit, and that is that when you think about, you know, here's the here's EV and here's the lakes, you sort of think about a catchment as being a circle around a radius around where you start your church, but the catchment is much more dependent on psychologically how people oh you beauty all right there it is okay thank you um so so you think of, yeah you think about a circle with a radius around here but uh catchments of churches work much more in terms of the gravitational pull like so you look at sydney city um if you plant at Parramatta, you won't get people coming from ashfield equally as coming from Penrith, you're much more likely to have the outlying areas coming into you but people don't travel out of the city Uh, and so that's pretty well was proved right in terms of the catchment that we had um, which was basically everything close to us and further north uh, with the people we picked up on. So uh, in 2001 I gathered a core group um, and lots of them were for EV, from EV but some of them you know, were moving up at that time. They'd heard through the networks that uh, we were starting and so we started to gather with this group. Uh, that was an exhausting time because I wasn't living here. I was living in Sydney and just travelling up once a month originally and then once a week uh, and as it got closer and closer, really quite... Uh, taxing. I can remember, you know, having to stop halfway down the freeway a few times and having a sleep on, uh, before I sort uh, arrived home. Um, you know, you kick off a church like this in an area that's not got a strong evangelical presence. so It certainly didn't, you know, uh, ten or eleven years ago. Heaps of different theological backgrounds. So many people come to your church wanting to influence church and wanting to have a, a, a power role within church. And so those early days are hard work because you've really got to hold most things to yourself. You know, you want to move to the matrix as soon as possible, but you realise, I don't know who I can trust here, who I can actually... But, you know, here's one of the benefits of having a core group from a church like EV is that you have a group who do share the DNA of, uh, you know, evangelical, you know, understood predestination, understood a philosophy of ministry that was uh, quite similar... Um, and, yeah, I just want to say I, I have loved planting a church. Um, I find it really refreshing. I love that people choose to join our church rather than feel like this is the church I've always been to. I, I feel for my friends who are in churches that are established. Like, I understand you've got to do both. But I really feel for them because for some of them, they've got people in their churches who hate them or don't want them there or don't like them. And they've just got to solve, you know, I've got people like that in our church as well. But in a sense, they've chosen to join and they have to put up with it where I'm not the new player in the mix. Anyway, I like that about church planning. Let me, let me start telling you what, what the seminar is about. I'm not going to use that because I've got too many things I'm juggling here. Um, so I wanted to talk about the relationship between the mother church and the daughter church. All along, um, Andrew was really clear on expectations uh, so they were happy for me to come along, announce the church plant uh, and any of their members that wanted to come along and join us were welcome to do that. Um, and at the level of financial support, they would give some financial support. But again, Andrew was really clear. He said, if things don't go well, you've got to be prepared to mow lawns for a living. Right? And that's a direct quote. So this is his conversation of trying to settle my nerves and all that sort of stuff. If things don't go well, you've got to be prepared to mow lawns for a living. And so, I, like, at, at one level that seems harsh, but I think it was really helpful to actually, uh, there was no safety net here. Uh, Andrew is saying, you've actually got to make this thing work. And if it doesn't work, you've got to deal with whatever consequences. If you have a heart to continue this ministry... Well, you've got to work out a way of doing it. Uh, So he's saying we're not going to be this endless backstop or safety net for you. Um, As the daughter church, you feel very vulnerable in the relationship between mother and daughter church. For me, I think it was especially so because EV is this massive church with so much momentum um, and you really feel like you might be swamped uh, by all of this Uh, how can we possibly compete and as the daughter church again it really hurts when you feel like you're starting to gather a core group but then some of them are so critical to the mother church that the mother church says hey we really we really want you to stay and so that whole thing of persuading people to come back to the mother church uh, you know that's hard that's hard going and it's not long before this relationship between Andrew and myself which has been you know, fantastic and you know it's a good relationship of mentoring for a number of years where you feel the strain uh, and you just feel like we're now actually in competition for a, a common pool of resources. Um, and about a year into our church it, it really got bad for me because um, Ev were looking for land at that time, and they were they were originally looking for a block of land about seven minutes towards our church, which cut the distance. You know, it would have been it would have been somewhere around here, which cut the distance to about ten. And I it was like, Oh, come on! You're already you're already a big enough presence here already. Let alone sort of creeping up, you know, the freeway uh, up the up the road our way. Uh, and so you sort of you know, there's those sort of tensions. Um, some of the people who came with me really fostered an us them relation uh, sort of attitude, um, and generally that was flattering to me. Right, and so you sort of you know it's not good, but at the same time you like to hear it. Uh, and that is, you know, this is the lakes is much more welcoming. You know, I, I know people much better. People are much more hospitable, and all those things were true. Um, we were we just. We just lived in each other's houses for those early months and there was not a Sunday went by when you weren't invited to someone's place, you know, for lunch or whatever after church. But, what, you know, what's the danger of that? What's the danger of that sort of attitude? Yep, comfortable, the pride is one. But it's also because our goal is to grow the danger is you don't want to create a church which has built into it a sense of we're a, we're a nice, tight family who are already in each other's, always in each other's houses. The danger is it's going to mitigate against your growth down the track. So you've just got to be careful about, about that, even though it's kind of like what you want to hear. Um, some of the people who came with us were far more scathing than that. And actually, part of their reason for leaving EV was because they, they hated Andrew, to be honest. Uh, and so they came um, sowing seeds of a real... Um, I suppose they'd been in a power play with Andrew here at EV and they saw an opportunity to step out from under that and start afresh. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a real danger because uh, I've already... G'day, guys. This is mother-daughter... Yep, and you are very welcome here. Yeah. No worries. Uh it's a it's a danger because you're already feeling the tension. You know, I'm already feeling this tension between Andrew and I. I'm already feeling like uh there's a you know a bit of a power play going on. And so to have people coming along who are enforcing that message, you can start to believe it and and the divisive, the potential for divisiveness is massive in those early years when, when yeah, still. So how did you deal with that, mate? So you know that, that's working in your mind. You don't even know that it's part of what's going on in their minds. When they come to you and they say, we play guitar and we're ready to do kids' ministry, and you go, yeah, but I know there's something about you, but we really need that. How did you manage that? Like, do you have a conversation where you go, it'd be really nice if you're ready to play nicely or, like, do you ignore it? How did you... Yeah, well... Yeah, how did I deal with it? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably not perfect in dealing with it, but I suppose I just—I will deal with this in in just a little while. But I suppose I try to keep uh, keep being level-headed about it. I tried to keep pulling people up when they tried to do the comparisons, um, and in terms of the people who were really anti Andrew, um, I think. Yeah, for a couple of them, it, it actually took a number of years before they actually ended up leaving the church. But I, I think they had more influence than they, I probably gave them more influence than I um, ought to have. Uh, and so it's yeah, it's, yeah. I I don't think I dealt with it perfectly, but it's something to be aware of, and it's a danger. Yeah. Um. So, uh, some people, some people who came. We're still grieving the mother church and some of the benefits of the mother church. So you, you, it cuts both ways, where there's a feeling like, oh, our, there's no youth group here. What am I going to do with my teenage kids? And uh, the children's ministry is just not as good. Uh, there's no seniors' ministry, really. Uh, and so, yeah, it, I, I think that sense of comparison cuts both ways. But either way, you've got to try to help people see a bigger, a bigger gospel vision, and this is where I want, I want you to open your Bibles if you've got one. Philippians chapter 2. So Philippians 1, just, just listen as Paul describes uh, just the battle of ambition. Um, amongst his co-workers now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel he's now in prison as he writes this as a result it's become clear uh, throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ and because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill the latter do so out of love knowing that i'm put here for the defense of the gospel the former preach christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while i'm in chains but what does it matter the important thing is that in every way whether from false motives or true christ is preached and because of this i rejoice now if you re- if you've read and reflected on that passage you, you get blown away by Paul's gospel-heartedness, don't you? Like, it really is extraordinary that he can see people preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, and yet he can still rejoice that Christ is preached. Um, I find that extraordinary. And I reckon we each, each of us needs to be very honest with ourselves, that we each carry around a mixture of motives. And so we will carry around motives to advance the kingdom, godly motives. You know, we want Christ to be glorified in all the earth. We want people to come into his kingdom and we have gospel ambition, right? And that's a good thing. But then we also carry around selfish ambition. uh, And that is a sense of my own personal reputation and pride and my something of my person is tied up in this work and its success or failure in the eyes of others really has a, quite a bearing on me. And so we have this mixture of motives amongst us between godly ambition and selfish ambition. What are you meant to do with that? Um, now Paul says the important thing is that Christ is preached. And um, And I I think that's really helpful for us. That is, we've got to recognize that we will have a mixture of motives, but that ought not to stop us doing the work of the gospel because no one would be doing it right, if it was completely pure motives. So recognize that there's a mixture going on. Keep preaching Christ. Keep building his church, but keep refining your motives along the way. Uh, and actually keep taking a good look at yourself. I reckon it's tempting to only notice selfish ambition in the other person, whether it's the mother church uh, pastor or the daughter church. It's, it's easy to recognise selfish ambition in the other person and to look at yourself and, and see only godly ambition. Uh, and so what we've got to do is reverse our tendency at that point. Be quick to recognise selfish ambition in yourself And be slow to assume that the ambition you see in the other is necessarily selfish ambition. It could well be gospel ambition and you're just not big enough to see it. So we've just got to have a generous outlook uh, on one another. We ought to look at Paul and his gospel heartedness and recognise the important thing is that Christ is preached. I have to keep repenting of selfish ambition in ministry and ask God to give me a bigger ambition for his glory and his kingdom and so on. Now having talked about those tensions, it it feels like you know it feels like it's all bad, but it's not all bad, but there is a reality to and I I think it's a surprising thing because you go in with such healthy relationships and you think so optimistically but it's surprising the conflict and and the sort of power play and the loss of trust that can happen through that, especially through those first few years of um, planting. Um, But I I also want to reflect on what a great blessing it's been uh, to be a daughter church, right? Having EV down the road, um, it is daunting because you think, wow, how can we ever compete with that? And again, that's a wrong way of thinking, isn't it? I'm not trying to compete with that. We're on about the same thing, doing it in a different way. Um, and we can constantly learn from them because they're actually doing the same thing we've done, but they're, they're five, ten years down the track. And so it keeps on lifting our vision, uh, keeps on challenging us, uh, and we enjoy a wonderful sense of partnership in the gospel. And, and we've got to keep fostering that, those things uh, and remembering those things. So up until now, my focus has been on EV and the lakes Uh, But from the first year of our church, I want to talk about this third one, Northern Lakes. Um, Is there, yep, Northern Lakes up there. From the first year of our church, we set a vision to plant a church north of us because we even considered starting there ourselves, but we thought, no, there needs to be a church up there. Um, And it was a great celebration when that came off, 2006, so four or five years into our church. Um, we sort of initiated this whole process of a core group starting to pray towards it, looking for a pastor. Um, But planting the church, you realise now as the mother church how much it costs and how much it probably costs EV, although we weren't thinking in those sort of terms at that time. But you realise as a mother church how much it costs. Um, There is real grief when committed members move on and you, you think about this you know you've got these people up here in the north they are committed they're already traveling at least 20 minutes down to us for church they are on the whole on the committed end of the spectrum of our members in church we've invested a lot of time and energy into these guys and then they they up and go and there's a real grief in terms of relationships and so on um and I think the mother church feels it more than the daughter church because the mother church is left with the grief but that is, you don't have a new start. All, got, all you're doing is rebuilding whereas the daughter church, you know, they have the grief but they've got a new thing that they're involved in and in a sense that they're not dwelling on what they've lost. Here's just a new start. Um, so yeah, I think it's costly for the mother church and you need to be very uh, open-eyed about that. Um, you lose committed people, you lose their money, their gifts within church life, and then also you're giving out money in terms of trying to support this new work. So it will cost you being a mother church in this sort of relationship. Um, and it also had a, had an impact on us in terms of the catchment of our church. So earlier on, I talked about the catchment of our ministry looking something like that. Once we start Northern Lakes, um, the catchment looks something like that. Um, and uh, I've got to say, it, it, we really felt the impact of that. You know, we're in an area that's actually quite developed and it's not opening up new estates and all that sort of stuff. Northern Lakes is where the new the new housing estates and so on are opened, and so we felt the cost even at the level of easy growth. Um, we knew that it was easy growth you know we were growing by thirty percent each year for quite a number of years. We start northern lakes, and all of a sudden the brakes are applied, um, so we knew that that couldn 't last forever. We worked out by about. 2050, we would have more people in our church than on the Central Coast if we continued to grow at that sort of rate. So, you know, we knew it was unsustainable, but it was, there was an easiness to it because we were just drawing on such a large area and we were offering something unique to that quite large area. So, you know, there's another cost, but it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Because if you're thinking gospel... Growth and kingdom growth, it's just such a no brainer to make that decision because you can't evangelize a region where you're expecting people to travel 20 minutes or so, especially young families. You can't evangelize young families from 20 to 25 minutes away. Uh, and so, really obvious thing to do. And we've just got to keep remembering that following Jesus by nature is costly. And we've got to expect that those costs will be borne in a whole lot of ways, and including church life. Um, Take up your cross and follow me is the basic call of discipleship. Uh, Two Corinthians eight: Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, though being poor, though, though being rich, gave himself and made himself nothing. Uh, for your sakes he, made, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so it's that great exchange of costliness that we need to imitate. Right? And that's just the, the, the fundamental call on every Christian. And if we're not modelling that as pastors and leaders, uh, then something has gone wrong. Uh, we've got to be prepared for costly decisions. Um, any questions, comments up to that point? Yeah. Okay. I'll ask and tell me yep, no worries. I, I wanted to ask about the ongoing relationship between the two churches. So, for instance, between yep. ladies. Yep. Um, so, I'm from to so I've seen this happen sometimes yep. where uh, people have to shift back and forth So mm-hmm. In terms of ongoing relationship, it's really, really healthy. Um, personally, the hardest area I find is youth ministry, because the nature of youth ministry is a crowd attracts a crowd, and once there's a big thing going on in one place, it really does have a a suck, you know, and pulls people from quite a broad area. and And parents are such these days that if their kids want to go to youth group, I don't care where it is, I'll just, I'll just take the hit and and get them there so we've I think we feel you know with such a a huge and vibrant youth ministry there can be that feeling of this is the thing and we just we're, we're we just deal with it and we just keep on chipping away and uh so that's the area where we feel it more than any I think um but we've got a really great relationship uh you know our churches uh, with Northern Lakes as well, I, I know Northern Lakes feel the same about our youth ministry. So it's ironic, isn't it? But they—they're really struggling to have any sort of youth ministry where we, we've got you know sixty kids, you know teenage kids coming along. And so it's not—it's not imp—it's not, impo- not impoverished by any way. But what do you got here? You've got about three hundred, yeah. So so anyone that comes to school down this way feels that pull over here. But um. Anyway, so, and we've just got to keep managing those sort of. Yeah, we do have an impact on one another. Um, yeah, so no good relationships is is yeah, and I, I love it. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, up and back. How um, do you see the change or to re-establish a new DNA <coughs> in the lakes, probably there, and then in the northern lakes? again? Mm. Um, yeah. Especially given that it's still roughly the same sort of post culture. Yeah. Yeah. So establishing a different DNA, um, this, is something, this is something that you know, I think is a real challenge. Um, the bottom line is you, your DNA is partly formed around the people who come and the people in whom you're ministering amongst. And for us, it, it surprised me just how different um, the Wyong Shire is. So once you, cr- you know, cross these mountains, you're into Wyong Shire, and demographically, much poorer area, much more single-parent sort of families. You know, a quarter of the families are single-parent families. It's a, it's a much tougher area. And aspirationally, if you have money on the Central Coast, you will gravitate down here. So, um, you know, in the whole Central Coast, there are working-class people, but the professional... Um, aspirational Central Coast, all sucks down towards, you know, the Erin Matcham, the beaches, all that sort of stuff. So we've got quite a different demographic in our church and that is reflected in our ministry. So, so, so um, I guess, continue. I was saying, was it a struggle that you those to moving north? Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's been too much of a struggle because they live there anyway so this is the area in which they live so some people want to move up the social ladder so to speak but most people are actually quite settled with who they are where they're at and the and the suburbs in which they're living uh, and like that it's different um and not in a competitive sort of way so yeah i think it's it's the dna is formed around the suburbs and the people that come yeah paul Yeah, I've been thinking of asking Andrew that today Um, and that is if he was doing the lakes today, would it be a campus of um, EV? I don't know the answer. So I think that they've moved on in terms of their model of church and when they planted down here in Woi Woi, they've gone a campus model. So I I don't know what they would have done. Uh, But I'd like to know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, so... There's a, there's, a, there's a range of questions there that I'm, I'm not certain about. you um, done it differently? Well, not not in the way we were thinking about church planting 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and so the campus model was just we thought that was weird. Eleven years ago and and we thought it was these controlling people trying to keep everything to themselves. Why wouldn't you just start a new work yeah. down there and so but i, I can see what e v are doing, and I think that's it's fantastic, and it makes the the sharing of resources that it allows, so there's good things yeah. um so. necessarily have the resource, do yeah yeah, that's right, yeah, so it's in quite a different space, yeah, now. yeah. So, so let's get Andrew in here and answer some of these questions. Yep. David, you're Peter. I just interested to know uh, about the connections between the churches <coughs> Any even comments on sort of how you find those. Yep. So, so what I mean by that is, you know, any um, you know, constitutional type connections. Yeah, so there's, there's no connections between the churches yeah. in terms of constitutionally. We have very similar constitution. We just borrowed theirs and tweaked it. Uh, and I didn't do that. We had this a QC that was working behind the scenes, and he did a great job. So we are a completely independent church, but we are in very good fellowship. Uh, and it's I think it's a really healthy relationship. So there's no um, there's no formal obligation of relationship, but we just get along really well and we have such a similar philosophy of ministry and we do lots of stuff together so you're, you're yeah sort of yeah yeah so Andrew's the president I'm the secretary and being so close works really well so it's an Australian wide denom- denomination FIEC but it works really well for us to have that sort of close connection and yeah we yeah so on Tuesday we ran a pastors conference Don Carson was here so we said no, let's and and we ran it for the churches of the central coast and we're trying to sort of you know have biblical ministry at the center or you know we're trying to encourage the other churches in putting the Bible in the center yeah okay, okay. <laughs> so do you come down for the staff day year or do you start? no no, no there's, no, there's no... In the early days, there was a book reading group. I used to come down to that once a month, once every six weeks. Um, and what I'm doing more and more now is trying to... EV has evolved enormously in the last three years. Uh, and what I'm doing now is trying to get staff from our church actually connecting up with the corresponding staff at EV and say, these guys have thought about it much more than you. Come on. For, and they're forming those relationships, and that's really good. Yeah. So yeah. what was the of people went there more and what of people were actually on mission and It was purely geographic. Right. Completely <laughs> geographic. <laughs> but but we try but we we said we don't want you just to start a new work because it's more convenient so we instilled in them a missional focus but it just but we we're trying to be missionally focused here you know and so we it, it made sense in terms of uh, it was a, an obvious seam that we could just tear tear the two churches apart and here's a group that live there let's teach them to be missional up in that area Yeah, yep. So it's quite different from um, when with EV I came up and started trying to gather people to me, whereas with Northern Lakes it was partly because I felt like you know maybe that could have been more could have been done there. Um, With Northern Lakes I gathered a group, we we had our hearts set on this happening, um, and we then found a pastor that could um, run with that group. So we sort of did a marriage. Yeah. So Stuart. You talked about the fact that you celebrated <clears throat> the did when you planted that church. Yeah. So had that been part of what you've been talking about with the Lakes Church? from the Woodbury Yeah, before? yeah. We'd been talking about a church up in Northern Lakes. We'd even named 2006 as the date we'd like to do it. And and, and so that was, that was another reason for celebration because we felt like, wow, we actually, because yeah. two years out we we didn't, it was. It looked like it was going to be hard, but yeah, uh, we, we were really excited when that happened. Yep. Uh, you might have already come to Andrew I said let me know if you have. But uh, just thinking back to the very early stage where you're you're here with Andrew, and uh, <coughs> thinking about the, the church plan, uh, in terms of setting vision and what the church is going to look like, how, was that was that Andrew who did that, or was that you or a composite? No, it was me. It was me completely. Uh, yeah, not, Andrew had nothing to do with that except we'd talk yeah. every now and then, very rarely. And so what happened was I, start, I came and preached here once about a year earlier and I, said, Look, and, and, and I was interviewed beforehand. I said, this is what we're planning to do and anyone who was interested could come and talk to me. I then preached about six months later and that was the only platform I had at EV Church couple of preaching spots I wasn't regularly attending I wasn't attending EV so a couple of preaching spots and a sense that people knew me and and got to know about this thing and were excited about this church that was going to happen but then from that six months out I met up with that group every month and talked about the different M's uh, and so I did a study on each of the M's each month and we talked about what that might look like in in the new area where we were going So I actually think there's something really... I think there's something helpful about me not being part of EV before we started. I think I see a danger when someone... I, I don't think it... I'm not saying it shouldn't happen, but it's more complicated when, say, someone from EV is sent to plant a church up at the lakes area because so much more potential for influence and expectation oh, i know all these people i can grab them all whereas um i was a step removed i thought anyway i i see situations of grief where someone's come out of a church and started the church 20 minutes down the road expecting that they'll just take all their mates and stuff with them and then there's a whole lot of fallout relationally much more than we ever had yeah Well, let me, um, yeah, 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 yeah. no, we're not, but um, let me tell you about another church and what I've called it is another church plant Uh, and this is where I need to actually turn the microphone off. um, um, uh, What I've done is I um, I canvassed a number of people uh, in terms of in mother-daughter church relationships and so I thought I'd just hand that out for you. Uh, And I'll talk through some of the comments that these guys have come up with. Yeah, So, so yeah, the campus style versus the like independent completely independent work. Yeah. Um, at the moment, my thinking on that is largely geographical driven. So I can see how EV, it, it's a 15-minute drive to Woi and there's nowhere else beyond Woi Woi. I, I can see how that can work. Maybe in time they'll decide it needs to be its own entity completely and I think they've got... They've got the door open to possibilities, I think. Um, uh, we're, we're 20 minutes, we're, we could have been a campus of EV if, if things had have been different. But I don't think Northern Lakes, I, th- I think it would have been a real stretch for Northern Lakes to be a campus of EV. And that's about as far as you want to go, isn't it? I, I just think geographically there, there are limitations on the campus model that's that's my opinion of it now but it could be interesting in 10 years time we we could be thinking differently about it yeah when you heard a bit about the strategy 300,000 yeah Well, the EV, EV, we couldn't have started the lakes without EV. So we are completely... Uh, I wasn't going down the same model as Andrew did. He just arrived, few mates, and a sense that there are people here who might gather into this sort of church. Um, I, I didn't do that at the lakes and it would have been real hard going, I think, for me to do that. So we, the impetus for the start of our church, whilst it was my initiative was thoroughly dependent on EV and it was very consistent with the vision of EV. Um, And I see the possibilities, like the scale of church that EV is now, they have possibilities not only for impacting the Central Coast, but Australia. Uh, I'm thoroughly behind the sort of philosophy that um, Andrew was talking about in there in the last session and scalability of just saying we need not only lots of churches, but we need to create the capacity for big churches. And we are totally over meeting in a, church, a school hall. You know, 10 years in, it's, it's just we're done in on the whole school hall. And, and when you get to the – we're 400 average on a Sunday, you know, kids and adults – to run that sort of church, you need a certain amount of professionalism up front. <laughs> That's a word that people would laugh at in our church because it's sort of, it, it, you know, there's only so much you can do in a school hall without totally exhausting people with the setup. But we want to keep making it better quality, the presentation, but it's really onerous. The more you add, the more you have to pack down. and So I can see why you want to move towards... Um, your own building and a bigger scale of doing things. So I think you've just got to keep doing both. Yeah. Oh, sorry, the and question is more, yeah. Is there anyone overseeing the whole strategy for the Central Coast, or is it just everyone has a philosophy of let's play lots of churches and they'll um, that'll somewhere else? Yeah. We just yeah. There's no. Not that I know. of, Maybe Andrew has got a you know an overall strategy. <laughs> um, yeah. So but the I I reckon the time is coming when we're going to we've bought a block of land here I reckon a, a church plant here in in 5 years time and I reckon here it could even be sooner in the whole Gosford Narara valley uh, I, I think there's a couple of obvious possibilities um yeah and so we need to start talking about that a little bit more Yep So <laughs> just Yeah 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yep. And there's natural barriers between. So this is a mountain range that really just blocks it off, and the lake, uh, and so sort of um, separate sort of areas. Let me just tell you some of this. So I just emailed a number of blokes who are in this sort of sphere of church planning, uh, and there's some great advice I got. It's, It's really good. I think this is the start of what could be a really helpful sort of working document um so Paul Harrington in Adelaide who's an Anglican minister there and planted many churches um he says just just let me run through these very briefly spend plenty of time preparing well both the mother church and the daughter team when the mother church sends people it takes a hit a lot of people uh uh, a lot of people with get up and go um get up and go Uh, This can leave the sending church with a sense of grief. All our friends have gone. Mother churches need to train well in advance of sending. Given you are keen to send good people to plant, you need to train up those who are going to step into ministry after them. So a sense of it doesn't, don't just wait till it hits, but sort of start preparing for it. We did that with Northern Lakes. Be clear that about the arrangement between the mother-daughter when everyone is passionately doing ministry, the fights will often be about autonomy, finance, and Everyone who I wrote to, basically, that was their message. Be clear on expectations and communication. It came again and again and again. Mother churches are keen to have an ongoing interest in the daughter church, but this isn't likely to be reciprocated. The energy and interest is with the new enterprise. And, and it's interesting, all the mother church guys that I contacted, you could see that they were grieving over this. It's like bleeding. Um, and that is the mother church invests a lot of affection towards the daughter church and it's the daughter church is almost like oblivious that the mother church even exists um well that's right that's that's life isn't it and it's so it's a helpful analogy the mother daughter sort of situation because it is the mother does carry a lot of responsibility that the daughter never realizes um until she grows up and has a daughter and After a time, daughter churches grow up. There is a need for a model, planting, a model of planting where the relationship changes over time to allow for teenage need for room to move. But see, what, what they've done in Adelaide is it's, it is a tight network. So they're not independent works. They're all under the, um, their campuses, basically, like, like the sort of thing that EV is doing at this stage. In terms of um, advice to the... Does it, does it say... Oh, I, oh I've made a mistake there sorry, sorry guys it should say advice to the daughter church on the right hand side is that consistently bad? okay alright okay thanks for that um, so advice to the daughter church spend plenty of time developing the core team that is going to plant you know pray together read the Bible together so on cultivate thankfulness is the next point for your mother and an ongoing mutual respect you can see it's a, it's a, a mother church writing this can't you? cultivate thankfulness for your mother and ongoing mutual respect um, next point be self aware when building your team if the lead planter is a great evangelist and allows you to organise it so you've just got to gather people who complement your weaknesses the mother leaders and daughter leaders and senior leader of each should meet and pray regularly they should work to encourage one another in the gospel and I think that's a really, uh, really healthy principle um, let me go on oh, this is great because Scott McKenzie was church planter of Singleton Evangelical and these guys are in our network and Roger Burgess was the pastor at Maitland Evangelical who in a sense came on as the second lead pastor of that church when Singleton Evangelical was already, the momentum was already happening and so he inherited this uh, church plant in its infancy. And uh, really interesting dynamics that he um, created. So advice to the mother church. Uh, he says, this is Scott, the daughter church is saying, have realistic expectations and plans for how the daughter church will mature. Make sure these are communicated clearly. Uh, work at the under, understanding the culture that the daughter church is in. So different type of situation. Communicate to the congregation of the importance and value of the daughter church often. <laughs> so, you can, so I... Anyway, I find this amusing. Um, <laughs> expect, expect tension and conflict. Now, it's, it's fascinating. Like these guys, if you met Roger or if you met Scott, you would think these are the most easygoing guys, but you can see that they have been through pain in relationship together. All right? uh, and it's just part of the character of grappling with gospel ambition and selfish ambition and and... All that sort of stuff. It's a complex mix. Uh, so his advice to the daughter church, keep the communication channels open, be proactive in giving, giving the mother church an ongoing real picture. Be mindful that, the mother of, that the, what the mother church does can sometimes feel as if it's taking over. Um, because the mother church is bigger, it can sometimes feel as though the daughter church is insignificant. Um, so they've still got quite a... a tight connection these two churches and they're financially dependent Singleton's still financially dependent on Maitland at the moment and they're, how, how far are you in Chris? How far has your church been going? How long? No, four years. So yeah Singleton's four years old as well same, same time you guys started Okay, there's, here's Roger's comment um, so I'll just pick up on a few of them, he talks about communicating fourth one down, I like this Don't be defensive. Remember that God has justified you freely through Christ's death. You don't have to prove yourself to God or to anyone else. Rest easy in the truth of justification by faith alone. How helpful is that? Because your identity is not in this church plant. Your identity is in Christ and him justifying you. And he says exactly the same if you look across to the right. Don't be defensive. Remember that God has justified you. So both for the daughter and the mother church. And uh, skip over to the last page. Um, There's Rick Smith um, from Sydney Anglican Scene. Phil Campbell. I'll read Phil's and Andrew's. Phil um, only gave me a short comment because he's been on holiday. But it's really interesting. He's the lead pastor of the Mother Church. Expect very little back from the daughter. Example, set realistic expectations that new members of the plant will not be especially interested in connecting with home base will be unlikely to attend any joint events will show little appreciation of the history of sacrifice and financial investment <laughs> and on the other side he says educate the daughter church towards an appreciation of these factors for at least 3 to 5 years so so he, the mother church is feeling the pain and if only the daughter would just show a bit of attention around that i spoken uh, to Phil about this oh yeah about this thing today Oh, yeah, about that dynamic, yeah. And it's interesting, I think that was a huge hit for their church. And that's sort of more in the EB, more on so they've got more a campus. They've been a campus, which is going very well. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of interesting. Yeah, I'm back. yeah. Up in the back. That's how you can still go to campus. It's a campus for a while, so... Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't work yeah. when you have anyone who's new, they you're gonna go, Who the heck is this city church? Why would you do that? Um so, yep. so yeah, I mean, if, even if it's in the campus or model, I wonder how Peninsula's working in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well I imagine it's look at the last one, right? Andrew Heard. Um be clear Mother Church, be clear that you give everything. Advice to the daughter church, be clear that you expect nothing. And that's, I think that's, that's the key bit of advice from all of them in a nutshell and that it's all about expectations that if you as the mother church think we're, we're going to give and it's going to hurt but we're going to be generous, as the daughter church you think I'm not going to assume we're going to get anything from the mother church and anything we get we'll joyfully receive and be thankful for. And if you both go in with that attitude then be fantastic. It's like with, with husband and wife. Sometimes you've got to get them in the different rooms and say to the husband, "You love your wife, self And the wife, you say, "You submit to your husband, even if he's an idiot." You know, and oh, and, and so, you, but you've all almost got to get them in different rooms. I think same with the mother-daughter church relationship. So the mother church needs to know that they they will have to be generous, and it will be sacrifice, and it will cost them. The daughter church don't expect anything, and you won't be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> We had one year, yeah, but that was because we, our area is quite unique. Um, the proximity of the central coast to Sydney ought not to be underestimated. So the fact that Sydney has such a thriving evangelical network that is, that is not found particularly in the Anglican churches up here so people that move up here are looking, often looking for an evangelical home, uh, and so I think once we we've we've never slipped below 60 adults average on a Sunday, and that was in our first year. And by the end of that year, we we're averaging about you know 100 adults on a Sunday. Um, but it's partly the really good start we had from EV, and partly just that. You know, when I talked about that, that, that quite a big area of catchment, anyone even looking for an evangelical ministry was coming to us because there wasn't anyone offering anything like it. Yeah, yeah, I would. So if I was doing Wyong, we, we, my, my, I would do it as campus. Yeah, and that's probably how I do um, here as well. Yeah, I think because because i think at least in the early days i don't think they could be financially self sufficient and just because i'm not very clear, but as it as um, i think i think it's those things are still being worked out and i think it seems to me that they are under review as things develop and as we understand more about how the campus yeah. model works so yeah paul Well, yeah. Well, you certainly wouldn't want that to be the case, would you? No, no, no. So you wouldn't you wouldn't want people turning. I'm just repeating for the sake of this. You wouldn't want people to be turning to the canvas model to to minimise grief yeah. and to maximise control. Um, whether that's the reality, yeah. it's it's exactly the same as gospel ambition versus yeah. selfish ambition. Uh, like we've all got a mixture of both. And we just got to keep purifying our motives along the way. So, yep. If I could just speak to that and find it. Yeah, I and I, I, I can speak into that. I, when you start a church, the different, like, the difference between our church on the early days and EV was massive and it just felt like... Uh, it, going to church felt like a bit of a downer in comparison. I don't think the same would be there as much as acutely for the campus down south because they've got the resources of a music you know, magnification pastor, and they've got the resources of great preaching and just they, the kids' ministry. and What's that? So the idea of a campus is where um, it's not on the same site, so the, it's 20 minutes down the road, but it's completely under the responsibility and umbrella of the Mother Church, and so the Mother Church is totally responsible for everything that goes on. There's no independence yeah, between them. Talking extremes? Is it live preaching or is it like video? Oh, no, no, no. So, they, so the way EV do it is they have a preacher might do the Saturday night church here and then go and do a Sunday morning there. And so on any given Sunday, you will have two or three people preparing a sermon on the same passage but rolling it out in six contexts. And yeah. the minister responsible for that camp. In 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 um at at um at Woy Woy there is. Greg Greg Masters is studying theology at the moment and leading that church. Yeah. I don't even know what time we're going to. We can go 5:30, uh, yeah. Okay. Are we all feeling done? Yeah, (laughs) a couple more questions. (laughs) Stuart, start with. Um, uh, Talk specifics for us. I love love all these general ideas, but can you talk really cross-tax? How many people did you put to the Northern Lakes to start it off? I I, I think it was about 30 adults. adults. Yeah. And they were all from your current existing congregation. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they started with a bigger congregation than 30 adults, but 30 was how many went from the lakes. And in terms of support for the that you picked, did you guys, did you thing for a year or something as well? Did you do the same thing as you? Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't recall whether we did that for more than one year, but basically we had a model where once once a church becomes self-sufficient, a step back, and it was either a year or maybe two years with the case of Northern Lakes. Um, but, yeah, one, one of the things about starting a completely independent work is I do think it is easier to raise money from outside for it. So I think EV would have a hard job going to, you know, friends and family beyond the Central Coast and saying, hey, we're starting a campus of EV. We want you to give sacrificially towards it. But, you know, me starting the Lakes, it's an independent church. Will you give towards it? So the generosity of the church that I'd been at was overwhelming. Someone gave $50,000, right, a one-off gift. Right? and then we, we, So in, in total, we, we were the beneficiaries of about $100,000. Our budget was about $100,000. And so that, that enabled us to employ the second long-term worker really quickly and really gave us a great start. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up by just, uh, um, I think I've got another picture there. What have I got? Oh, there, oh, there's our block of land, so there you go. We've got a big billboard but nothing else. There was already a real estate billboard there, so we just put our own thing there. So that's nice, isn't it? Um, but the next one, I, I, this has not got to do with mother, not got to do with mother-daughter church at all, but I, I just think it's helpful reflection on church planting is that um, uh, often I think in... You know, Christian world. Sometimes the church planting. You know, the church planter can be seen as the glory boy. You know, the Usain Bolt. Yeah, you know, and the rock star of the, um, uh, of you know. So, we, and in the Olympics, the the sprinters are the ones who strut around the village and there. But I reckon a, this is a better model for church planter. And this guy, I can't remember what what um, Olympics it was. Um, Mexico Olympics. Yeah. And he came in the the marathon had been over for hours already, and this guy was coming last by a long way he's bleeding on the leg, he's got bandages around his leg, and he just sort of hobbles in and, and the ho- there was a few spectators that actually stayed on uh, and uh, he finally crossed the line you know and got a cheer and the the interviewer said, "Why did you keep going? you know it was pretty clear that you couldn't win the race, so what?" kept you going you know through the pain and all that sort of stuff and he said um, my country didn't send me here to start the marathon they sent me here to finish Uh, I I just think it's a fantastic illustration but that's what I see with the Apostle Paul is he recognized that um, it's not about his glory it was about the glory of Christ and he talked about himself as this clay jar you know this uh, where breaking down, persecuted, you know, beaten about on all sides. But what that does is it shows forth even more the glory of God and his gospel. So uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer as we finish. Let's pray. God, our Father, uh, yeah, we do thank you that you've given us a real heart for your kingdom. But we know that in amidst that gospel ambition, uh, there is also selfish ambition And Father, sometimes we're even blind to it ourselves. Father, sometimes we're much better at seeing it in others uh, than we are in recognizing it in ourselves. So so Father, we pray that uh, just we will have great integrity and that your word will continue to minister to us. By your spirit, you will continue to convict us of sin and lead us to repentance and help us to trust you and our our standing before you, not through anything we do, but through the work of Christ. Please help us to be generous, uh, to count the cost of following Jesus uh, and to to want to invest in the work of the gospel, uh, to give our lives to it uh, and to be willing to free up resources uh, to see that happening, even if it might impact uh, Ministry in our own place, we pray that we'll have a bigger perspective uh, and want to see, uh, want to be generous towards ministry in other places, but also want to be generous in our assumptions we make about others. So, Father, we pray for all, uh, for everyone here, in whatever sort of relationship of church they're in. We do pray uh, that you will use, use us for your kingdom, uh, give us that uh, gospel-heartedness. Uh, that the Apostle Paul had. uh, And Father, we pray that you will use us mightily uh, for your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.